Man, servant, uh, sermons in 2020 so far have really been stepping on our toes, right? We've talked about anger, we've talked about greed and comfort and anxiety and jealousy. And I don't know about you, but I've learned a lot of things about my heart, and none of them were good. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and, and balance that out a little bit today, and we're going to talk about guilt Maybe you've already started to feel some guilt about your anger and your comfort and your anxiety. How do we balance that out? Uh, because it seems like wherever religion goes, guilt goes with it, right? I've heard people, uh, you know, more secular people talk about, maybe in the news and different places where they say uh, that Christianity is a guilty religion. And uh, we, can, we can feel like that. Because guilt is probably only second to fear in ways that people want to motivate people with. And we'll talk about fear in, in a couple weeks, but we see that a lot nowadays where fear is the number one motivator that people try and use on us. But guilt is a good one too. And you've been guilted into doing things before and you've felt that pressure. Now guilt is the opposite of anger and jealousy and greed. Or anger says you owe me. And jealousy says, God owes me. God could have fixed this. Greed says, I owe me. I ought to splurge and I ought to do these things. But guilt says, I owe you. I'm indebted to you. And many times I feel as though I can never even begin to pay you back because the debt is too big. So instead, I'm trapped and I'm frozen in guilt. I can never make up for all the things that I've done. We've talked about this debt-to-debtor relationship that is established. We've talked about also that many times those debts can never be repaid. A husband cheats on his wife and ruins a marriage and takes a father out of the home of a child. How do you repay that debt? Some, motivated by guilt, may try to attempt to buy their children's love, to make up for it, right? But really, that's just hurting the child more by teaching them excessive materialism and that things will please me and give me happiness. Or some may try to buy love through allowing their kids to do whatever they want and setting no boundaries whatsoever. The same scenarios play out when one of the parents pursues a career with such focus that their absence causes damage and creates an IOU situation where you always feel like you Oh, your children, and you try and make up, and there's guilt involved. But any child that has grown up in a situation like that knows that there is no way to make up for what's been taken by trying to put, replace it with something else. There's no way you can do that. The only way for, uh, to make up for not being there to tuck Junior in is to be there to tuck Junior in. But instead... Guilt begins to build up, and it forces us to avoid people that we owe something to. And the problem compounds, and it gets worse and gets deeper and further embedded in us. But the same situation happens with us with our relationship with God. Because of our deficiencies, we feel like maybe we need to pay God back. So we work harder, and we give more. Or we try and police everybody else. We talk louder. And we try to relieve our guilt inside of us that our relationship with God isn't where it's supposed to be. But in the end, 
The only way to make up for not having a close relationship with God founded on love is to work towards a close relationship with God founded on love. We've learned, and if you've ever been a part of a relationship or maybe a church where guilt was the main focus uh, to motivate each other, I do this for you, I do that for you, and I can't believe that you, uh, you know, won't reciprocate what I've given you. And eventually you learn that guilt is not a good motivator for anything that we do, especially our walk for God. See, in our relationship with God, instead, God wants us to want him. We've said this before, that God delights the most when we delight in him. He doesn't want you to do things motivated by guilt. He wants you to do things motivated by love. And I'm sure your child feels the same way. Your wife feels the same way. Your boss feels the same way. Guilt is not a good motivator. So how do we fight the problem, this heart problem of guilt? Well, Andy Stanley says that secrets lose their power when exposed to the light. And guilt is the same way. Confession is the light that exposes our shame and frees us from the bondage of guilt. John the Apostle writes to the church in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, He, God, God is faithful and just. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's amazing news. Why? Because God wants to forgive you. God wants, he's waiting for you to confess. He's waiting for you to come to him and accept that forgiveness. He doesn't want, he never intended that you would live in constant guilt. Because God did not save us to live in constant guilt of things that he's already forgiven us for. God did not save you to live in constant guilt of things he's already forgiven us for. But we need to also be careful to not swing wildly in the other direction and to take advantage of God's goodness and choose to sin because God has promised to forgive. We need to make sure that we don't do that, that we choose to forgive because we know God is faithful. And we need to make sure that our confession habit doesn't support our sin habit. We need to be sure that our confession habit doesn't support our sin habit. Confession shouldn't just be guilt relief. It should be a step towards change. Romans says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Many times, I don't know about you, but I've done some things knowing that I have this safety net of God's forgiveness. And if, that, if, I, if I was unsure of that safety net, I wouldn't do the things that I was about to do. And I knew that I could just ask for forgiveness afterwards, so I stepped out. But see, true confession isn't like that. Confession shouldn't just be guilt relief. We should take a step towards being different and to not continue in those ways. If we treated our spouse or our friends that way, right? The same way that we treated God, then that relationship would end. No one would stay 
friends or stay with somebody that continue to do things knowing the other person would just forgive them. If, you know, we, we come up to our wife and say, hey, baby, you love me, right? Well, I, I gambled my check away again this week. But you love me, right? You forgive me, right? And then the next week we said, hey, you know, I know I said last week was the last time. But you love me, right? You care about me, right? Eventually, any one of us would end that toxic relationship of someone taking advantage of us. But our God is faithful and his love is unconditional. So he won't do that to us. But how much more should we not take advantage of a wonderful, amazing person that's like that? He is faithful and just to forgive us. And when we have those type of relationships where we do those things, is that apology even sincere anymore? Is that confession even real? Or is it just mouth service? We make sure our kids know that's not right. Every one of us that are parents are going to get to a point where you're going to say the words, sorry doesn't cut it. You have to make steps towards change. Sorry's great and all, but what I really want is not the word sorry. I want you not to do that the next time. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? I have that conversation all the time. Yeah, it's great that you said sorry, but that doesn't just wipe away everything that you've done. The English definition of confession is more uh, about acknowledgement, right? When we say the word confess, we think that what we're doing is admitting that we did something. I sinned. But the biblical definition has more of this attitude of deciding to change. Not just admitting that we did something, but making a real and true effort to do something different the next time. The word uh, confess is translated from the Greek word homologio, and that means to a, uh, admit to a punishable deed or sin. That means you agree with God that what you did deserves punishment. Not just that it happened, but that you ought to face some type of consequences for what you did. Seeing our sin, how God sees it. Now, yes, when you're saved and you accepted Christ, yes, Christ takes the punishment for that sin, but every sin that we commit is another sin that Jesus had to die for. And how unfaithful and how disloyal for us to continue in sin that God's grace would abound. So we need to confess, admit to a punishable offense, accept forgiveness, and then allow God to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. This is how we start this process of fighting guilt. Like we've read already, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now the word confession is often either uh, accompanied by this other word, or sometimes replaced by this other word, and that word is repentance. And that's used uh, with this, in the this same types of scriptures, and it literally means to turn around. I'm going in this direction, and I have to turn all the way in this direction. How many of you have ever been driving with your spouse, and you took a wrong turn, and you wouldn't admit that you took a wrong turn, so you continue to drive in the wrong direction just to make a point. Maybe you're like, well, no, 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 I got it. I understand. Yeah, I, uh, I know you would think that's the faster way, but I'm going to go up here. I'm going to take a shortcut. Well, repentance in that situation would be taking a U-turn, right? 
just admitting that the turn that you made was wrong, but not just saying, yes, I, I made a wrong turn and continuing to drive in the other direction. It would be taking your pride and setting it down and turning that car around in the opposite direction. That's what the word repentance means. That comes from uh, the Greek word, you remember how to pronounce it. You are not going to know the difference. Mataneneo. <laughs> I don't know the difference. Why would you? Uh, and that means, and this is awesome. This is an amazing definition. It means to have a change of self, heart and mind that abandons former dispositions and it results in a new self, a new behavior and regret over the former behaviors and dispositions. It's not just admitting I sinned, it's being willing to turn in the other direction, getting things right. Acts 3.19, Peter told the Jews early in Acts, he said, repent therefore, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. See, in the Old Testament, God made it clear that confession meant more than just admitting what you did. In the Old Testament, the law highlighted restitution, making things right. Numbers uh, 5, 6, and 7 says the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or a woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt... He shall confess his sins that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did wrong. See, in the Old Testament, God was clear that he wasn't just looking for sorry. He was looking for a change. Now, in this law of grace, every time we sin, God doesn't uh, necessarily spell every amount of restitution out to a T. But we do see in the New Testament, there was this man named Zacchaeus, and he was a wee little man, right? Heidism's coming back. And he knew in his heart that it wasn't enough just to admit that he stole money from people as a tax collector. Instead, he committed to pay back four times the amount that he stole. And Jesus told Zacchaeus that his attitude towards his sin was proof that his salvation was real. So if we admit that we're in sin and you stop there, yes, I sinned, that's it, deal with it, get over it, you know, figure it out. If we just admit our sin and then stop there and you have no desire to make it right, there's something wrong in our heart. Now some things, like we've talked about, you can never pay back. But you can change the behavior today, and you can stop digging yourself deeper and deeper and deeper in a hole. Now, James 5.16 encourages us to confess our faults one to another, to confess our sins to each other. Now, does that mean that you just get into the nitty-gritty about all your deepest, darkest secrets with everybody? Probably not with every person that you meet. That might be awkward. But there ought to be people in your life that you have real close deep, intimate relationships that you can talk about what you're struggling with because secrets lose their power when exposed to the light. 
I think Celebrate Recovery does this in an awesome and a way, uh, great way. They have this great way to fight this sin. They never get up without saying, hi, my name is Phil Wayman. I'm a grateful believer of Jesus Christ, and I struggle with alcoholism. I struggle with pornography. I struggle with dependency. I struggle with uh, food addiction. Before you even know them, they're already admitting that they struggle and that they have problems and that they need help and they need accountability. But us church folks, we don't have these problems, right? We're good. We're good to go. We don't struggle with anything. We're above sin. Pastor, be honest with you, I wouldn't even know where to start. What could I even possibly say that I struggle with? Right? We come in this room and we put on our smile and we act like we don't struggle with anything. But if we're honest, we would realize that we struggle with pride and greed and anger and lust and guilt. But not just admitting it and not just saying, this is what I struggle with, but deciding to start to make changes to change how we are. But see, we as, as Christians and as church folk, we'll call it that, no, it doesn't really mean much, we have these little pet sins, and our sins aren't that big of a deal. And our sins aren't as big as those other types of sins. Those other types of sins are a lot. That, you know, I would never do that. But my sin is, is not as bad. It's a little white sin, right? They aren't hurting anyone. But what if we admitted our sin and confessed it, but with the idea that we're going to repent and turn around and ask some people to keep us accountable? See, this is why we, how we fight guilt. Guilt, many times, is just unconfessed problems that we have in our lives. Or unaccepted forgiveness that God's already forgiven us for. And this is how we fight these guilt problems. Not just our guilt issues between us and God, but the guilt that we have over the problems that we have with each other. So we're a family, and we're supposed to not have anything between us and each other. And some of you right now can't resolve your walk with God because you're unwilling to resolve your issue with someone in this room. And you ask God, God, why don't I feel close to you anymore? God, why haven't I, you know, I, I don't, I, when I read my Bible, it just seems so dry. When I pray, it just seems so empty. Why, God? The Bible tells us if we have things between us and another brother and sister in Christ, it's a problem. Maybe it's a person in your family. Maybe it's a person at work. But God cares about our horizontal relationships as much as he cares about our vertical relationships. If you look and you read a scripture, Jesus over and over again tells us to be in unity and love our brother and, and to care about each other's burdens and put other people in front of ourselves. Again, Jesus works on our heart problems through the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 23, it says, So if you're offering a gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Then, right then, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Before we raise our hand in worship to our God, before we go and teach a life group, before you serve in the church, drop all that. Those things are great things, but it's not the most important thing at that moment. The most important thing is to go get things right between you and your brother and sister in Christ, and then come back 
and serve God. I've often wondered how many times that we've instead put up wood, hay, and stubble when we're serving Christ. And it's just going to go to waste and be burned up because we had something against our brother and sister in Christ. You can't serve Jesus and hold a grudge against somebody. It's not possible. It doesn't work. I know in a room this size, there's probably uh, someone that needs to go and confess to someone else in this room and say, hey, I've had this against you. There's probably, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I struggle enough. There's probably people in this room that need to come and confess to me and say, hey, I've been holding this against you. And it's caused me anger and anxiety and guilt. And I'm not okay with it. I know the mission is so much bigger than that. We want to live a life free of guilt. Then we have to be willing to confess our sins. Not just to God, but to each other. And then take steps to change. And before we throw someone else's sin under the bus, we have to remember that I'm just a grateful believer of Jesus Christ that struggles. So to fight guilt, we need to confess. And then take steps to change. Repentance, agreeing with God on our sin, deciding to turn around, and then trust. And then trust that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And leave it there, that he's happy to forgive us. And then he wants to work on cleansing us of all our unrighteousness. You might even need and feel like God's leading you to take part in restitution, making things right, where you took something from somebody and you need to make it right. But the bottom line is this, is that it's not God's plan for you to be racked with guilt. So if you're racked with guilt, you need to understand that's not the way that God intended for you to have his relationship with him. Now, we're all guilty. We're all sinners. But to live in guilt is to say Christ taking your place on the cross was not sufficient. And that he needs your help to carry that cross. Let me bear some of that weight, Jesus. I want to take it on myself. But he doesn't need your help to bear your sin. Confess, repent, accept forgiveness, surrender to God, allow him to do the changing. There's absolute freedom promised when we live this way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Secrets lose their power when exposed to the light. Confession is the light that exposes our secret shame and guilt and frees us from that bondage. We don't have to live with this heart problem. Every head bowed and eyes closed. Band's going to come now. Move into our time of prayer, meditation, reflection. Guilt is something that I struggled with a lot during my teen years, and if I'm not careful, it also creeps up again that I'm not enough, that I've made mistakes that are too big, but none of our mistakes are bigger than our God. And God's given us a way to make things right, to confess, to repent, maybe to make restitution but not allow that stuff simmer under the surface 
If you're carrying guilt, that's not God's will for your life. Take some time to pray. Search our heart, every corner. Something that's left unconfessed. Maybe you want to come down and and use the altar down here. Maybe you need to go to someone and say, hug them on the neck and say, hey, I've held things against you and I'm letting go of it right now. Because what Jesus did was too big for me to hold on to this little thing. And if I want to be like Jesus, I got to forgive. Take some time to let God work on your heart.